0: Chapter 12. Abraham's Legacy in the Latter-day Zion, Expanding Influence and the Latter-day Fulfillment. Go ye, therefore, and do the works of Abraham. D.N.C. 132 32. Legacy on Earth and Abraham's Bosom in Heaven. Abraham's royal status in heaven was not marked on earth in the manner of his burial. With the acclaim and adulation of a grief-stricken world, one might suppose that Abraham's interment would have followed the manner of contemporary kings, with a jewel-encrusted sarcophagus, or a massive pyramid, or some other impressive monument to forever memorialize the patriarchal leader of mankind. That there was no such marker must be attributed to what Abraham himself had wanted, nor did he leave behind any likeness of his own person. We have no statue or bust or painting or golden death mask of the patriarch like those magnificent representations made of and by his contemporary pharaohs, and even pharaohs far more ancient, who left their faces forever enshrined in stone or paint or gold. Similar endeavors even seem to have occupied many monarchs throughout history, who sought to ensure that their royal visage would endure for all time. We can thereby contemplate the countenances of rulers like Ramses II, or Alexander the Great, or Julius Caesar, or even the mighty monarch in the region of Nimrod in present-day Turkey, perhaps the very Nimrod that was Abraham's mortal rival. But of Abraham himself, no such statue exists, or apparently ever did. The great irony of all this is that Abraham actually held and exercised the divine royal patriarchal authority to which all the kings so ardently aspired, for all their pretension to power and for all their elaborate work in leaving their likeness eternally enshrined for mankind. They were only pretenders to the divine royal authority actually held by Abraham. With the treasures of earth that God bestowed upon him and with the multitudinous following he had and with the popularity in his day of images of stone. Abraham might easily have ordered or allowed to be made a royal statue of himself that he did not reveals something important about his character and what he valued. And if he left no creed that we know about one of his like-minded latter day descendants, president George Albert Smith did. And in so doing seems to have captured perfectly the essence of Abraham's life as well. I would be a friend to the friendless and find joy in ministering to the needs of the poor. I would visit the sick and afflicted and inspire them in inspire in them a desire to be healed. I would teach the truth to understanding and blessing of all mankind. I would seek out the erring one and try to win him back to a righteous and happy life. I would not seek to force people to live up to my ideals, but rather love them into doing the thing that is right. I would live with the masses to help them solve their problems, that their earth life may be happy. I would avoid the publicity of high positions and discourage the flattery of thoughtless friends. I would not knowingly wound the feelings of any, not even one who may have wronged me, but would seek to do to him good and make him my friend. I would overcome the tendency to selfishness and jealousy and rejoice in the successes of all the children of our Heavenly Father. I would not be an enemy to any living soul, knowing that the Redeemer of mankind has offered unto the world the only plan that would fully develop us and make us really happy here and hereafter. I feel it not only a duty but a privilege to disseminate this truth. Or, if Abraham's great motive were to be captured in one sentence, it would be what another like-minded descendant, Nephi, wrote of himself. The fullness of mine intent is that I may persuade men to come unto the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and be saved. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were laid to rest in the same cave, the site would be venerated forever as the grave of the patriarchs. The 11th century official, in charge of maintaining the area, was called the Servant of the Fathers of the World. But it is Abraham's personal legacy of kindness that still echoes in the name Hebron, which in popular etymology is said to derive from the Hebrew word for friend, making it the place of the friend. The Arabic name of the city El- Khalil similarly, similarly re- means the friend, which is memorialized yet again in the name of the mosque covering the cave, Haram El Khalil, sacred precinct of the friend. And friendship was practiced there, at least into the Middle Ages, when the weary and needy could still find food and lodging at a charitably endowed institution called Abraham's Guest House. But the tradition of hospitality begun by Abraham was hardly confined to his burial place, for he had taught his posterity well. His oldest son, Ishmael, was a strenuous observer of all the precepts of his father, imitating him in being magnificent and compassionate, for he was extremely hospitable, courteous, entertaining travelers charitably and generously succoring the indigent, visiting the sick and comforting the afflicted. He in turn transmitted these virtues to his large and notable posterity, who handed them down through the generations that still remember their forefather as they pray. Liberality belongs to the prophet of God, Abraham, and it is that liberality that they emulate. Speaking of history of nomadic hospitality, Raphael Patay notes that it is a continuation of Abraham's own exceeding hospitality, The hospitality of the Bedouins and the modern-day heirs of Abraham has often been described. It is a notable trait exhibited proudly even by the poorest Bedouin, and an impressive even in the modified and reduced form in which one encounters it among Arab city folk. Isaac also became wise and intelligent, and he loved to give to the poor and needy bread and raiment. He made peace between man and his neighbor, and he comforted the unhappy and despairing, and he helped them with all of his power." He was beloved by all who knew him and he became famous and praised by all abraham's heritage was important in judaism and figured even into the national survival of ancient israel when pharaoh commanded the hebrew midwives to kill the baby boys the midwives feared god they did not do as the king of egypt commanded them but they let the boys live in doing so says the midrash they modeled their conduct on that of their progenitor abraham they said abraham our ancestor opened an inn where he fed all the wayfarers, men who were uncircumcised, and as for us, not only have we nothing with which to feed them, but we are even to kill them. No, we will keep them alive. Thus was kept alive also the Abraham, Abrahamic heritage of kindness. The followers of Abraham possesses three traits, generosity, simplicity, and humility, says Jewish tradition. And as a recent study observes, the ancient Hebrew practice of hospitality and mercy, of helping the poor and disadvantaged, the sojourner, outsider, the fatherless, and the widowed, was an Abrahamic heritage continued by all three Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, inspiring countless people, countless beings through the centuries to individual acts of loving kindness and participation in correcting op- oppression, and also influencing many peoples outside those traditions Such has been the global spread of kindness inspired by the life of Abraham. And such has been the almost unbelievable influence of one man whose effect on the world and whose name and reputation in it eclipsed that of the haughty monarchs with whom he had once had to deal. So widely revered had he become in the early centuries of the Christian era that the Roman Empire, Emperor Alexander Severus, ruler of the dominions once governed by Nimrod and Pharaoh, kept an image representing Abraham among his other gods. It was part of the fulfillment of the Lord's promise to make Abraham's name great among all nations. According to the Reverend W.F.P. Noble, not the mighty Nimrods nor Pharaoh nor any other man has left such a broad mark on the world. His name is known where the greatest emperors and conquerors were never so much as heard of. There is no quarter of the globe to which it has not been carried, and it is the only one which is venerated alike by Jews and Christians and Mohammedans, for which... For whatever be their differences, all of them claim an equal relationship with this distinguished patriarch, saying, We have Abraham to our father. And it is to Abraham their father that they aspire to go, for their highest destiny sought out by their righteous posterity is to share in the eternal rewards promised to Abraham. In both Judaism and Christianity from early times, the righteous are finally to be received into the bosom of Abraham. As an Armenian apocryphal source states, Those who are worthy rest in his bosom. Orson Hyde commented about Abraham that I suppose he had a pretty large bosom and a large heart, large enough to embrace all the faithful from his day down to the end of time, for in him and his seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jews today still pray to be blessed by the one who blessed our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it is also in Islam, as Muslims throughout the world pray, O God, bless Muhammad and the family of Muhammad. As thou didst bless Abraham and the family of Abraham, and make us, O Lord, the comrades of Abraham thy friend, Muhammad himself, according to Islamic tradition, asked for equality with Abraham, and commanded his community to ask for this. And Islam indeed considers itself the community of Abraham. In an Islamic funeral rite where the dead person is given instructions on how to answer the questions that will be posed, the person is told to say, among other things, God is my Lord, and Abraham thy friend my father. Islamic tradition holds that Abraham sits enthroned in the highest heaven, a tradition showing a very special position in Islam. Modern revelation to Joseph Smith similarly tells that even as Abraham hath entered into his exaltation and sitteth upon his throne, the surpassing glory of which is emphasized in Jewish tradition, so will all those who do the works of Abraham likewise inherit thrones. In Nibley's words, to be exalted means for Latter-day Saints to do the works of Abraham. Similarly, according to the Testament of Isaac, the aged Isaac heard the archangel Michael promise, There has been prepared for you the throne beside your father Abraham. You shall go away to rejoicing, which has no end, and to light and bliss, which have no limit, and to acclaim and delight without ceasing. Heritage and Righteousness The angel also commanded Isaac to teach your sons the ways and the commandments of your father, all of them which he commanded you so that the faithful may observe them and by them attain the life eternal, which is forever. This was Abraham's legacy to his posterity, not the substantial property that Genesis says he had divided amongst his heirs, but rather the counsel to keep the commandments and do righteousness and justice. The two precious jewels that Abraham bequeathed his children, says Jewish tradition. It was a legacy much prized by his posterity, as poignantly remembered by the children of Ishmael. According to the Quran, This very thing did Abraham bequeath to his children. O my children, behold, God has granted you the purest faith. So you do not allow death to overtake you, ere you have surrendered yourselves or submitted unto him. Likewise, among the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's true legacy is still remembered as a spiritual inheritance, a legacy of moral lessons, wisdom, a right way to live. One of Judaism's greatest rabbis, Hillel, Taught that the value for Jews of their Abrahamic lineage is to help them emulate the qualities of Abraham. Deeds are important, not mere birth. Other ancient Jewish sources likewise affirm if you are worthy, you are the children of Abraham. This same Abrahamic legacy was passed on by Abraham's great grandson, Benjamin, on his own deathbed. You know then, my children, that I am dying. Do the truth each of you to his neighbor. Keep the law of the Lord and his commandments, for I leave you these things instead of an inheritance. Give them then to your children for an eternal possession. This is what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. They gave all these things as an inheritance, saying, Keep God's commandments until the Lord reveals his salvation unto all nations. And then you will see Enoch and Seth and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the right hand in great joy. As we approach that great and dreadful day, when all nations will see the Lord's salvation in Abraham at the Lord's right hand, our world seems to become increasingly like Abraham's. As his world was as wicked as Noah's, so shall be ours. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And as Abraham would become ours, his life is not just history, but a guide, as it has always been for those aspiring to be the people of God. Isaiah's words are more relevant than ever. Look to Abraham your father. What do we see when we look to Abraham? We see first a boy in an incredibly wicked world from which Zion has long since fled. A boy who refuses to go along with the evil practices but prayerfully seeks his creator in purity and humility. We see a marriage of two people building Zion at home and then reaching out to gather all to Zion. We see answers to prayers but also increasing persecution for Abraham's life was a continuous tale of sacrifice and suffering for his cause. And through it all, we see a profound faith in the Almighty, a faith carefully cultivated and richly rewarded, as W.F.P. Noble described in the 19th century, decades before the emergence of the Genesis Apocryphon that would compare Abraham to a mighty cedar of Lebanon. Quote, Of Abraham in his whole life, of every journey he undertook, every march he made, every footprint he left, it was true of him as it never was of any other man. He walked by faith. But what explains it? What fed the faith wherein his grace strength lay challenging comparison with any and excelling all we may apply to him the glowing terms of bold figures of the prophet ezekiel he was a cedar in lebanon with high stature and fair branches and shadowing stroud nor was any tree in the garden of eden likened to him for beauty his root he adds explaining how the cedar towered above the loftiest trees a giant monarch of the forest. His root was by the great waters, and what that root found in streams which fed by the snows and streamings on the sides of Lebanon. Hottest summers never dried, and coldest winters never froze. The unequaled faith of Abraham found in close and constant communion with God. Like Enoch, he walked with God. Each important transaction of life was entered in, on in a pious spirit, and hallowed by religious exercises. His tent was a moving temple. His household was a pilgrim church. Wherever he rested, wherever by the venerable oak of Mamre, or on the olive slopes of Hebron, or on the lofty forest-crowned ridge of Bethel, an altar rose, and his prayers went up with a smoke to heaven. Such daily intimate and loving communion did this grand saint maintain with heaven that God calls him his friend, and honoring his faith with a higher-than-earthly title, the church has crowned him the father of the faithful." He lived on terms of fellowship with God, such as had not been seen since the days of Eden. Voices addressed him from the skies, angels paid visits to his tent, and visions of celestial glory hallowed his lowly couch and mingled with his nightly dreams. He was a man of prayer and therefore was a man of power, setting us an example that we should follow his steps to revert to language borrowed from the stateliest of Lebanon cedars that he was fair in his greatness and in the length of his branches, for his root was by the great waters, end quote. Nourished by the Almighty, whose commandments he kept, whose ordinances and priesthood he received, whose scriptures he searched, whose gospel he preached, whose love he shared, whose Zion he built, and of whose beloved son he testified, Abraham was not only blessed by God, but was chosen to be an instrument in carrying those same blessings to all mankind, the blessings of Zion. Zion is what Abraham sought, what he built, and what he qualified for, as Zion above actually partnered with him to protect him, bless him, teach him, empower him, and help him in his mission. As we look to Abraham, we also see him constantly seeking Zion's king, the Savior, through righteousness, prayer, and faith, even as he invites all to Christ and Zion by unwearying missionary labor and abundant kindness and hospitality we see abraham living the laws of obedience sacrifice the gospel chastity consecration and constant doing temple work to be sure wrote the poet Coleridge, if ever a man would without an impropriety be called or supposed to be the friend of god abraham was that man we see in other words the epitome of friendship and pure love of christ no wonder the lord revealed unto him stated john taylor some of the greatest and most sublime truths that ever ever made known to man and gave him, added Orson Hyde, some of the most sublime promises that no other man has obtained, the Son of God accepted. In short, we see in Abraham's life a remarkable fellowship among the Almighty and the powerful pattern for obtaining the blessings of Zion. For what reason, asked Clement, was our father Abraham blessed? Was it not because he wrought righteousness and truth through faith? This pattern is especially important for Latter-day Saints. Abraham's Latter-day posterity, aspiring to the blessings of their great forefather, whose example they are expressly commanded to emulate. Do the works of Abraham is the Lord's Latter-day commandment. God blessed not only Abraham, explained Erastus Snow, but also the seed after him, on condition that they should abide in his truth, follow the teachings and examples of their fathers, and prove themselves worthy. Or, as stated by Orson Hyde, if we will do the works of Abraham, we are the children of Abraham. Accordingly, as James Harris observes, we can, how can we become a Zion people? The same way that Abraham became a Zion man. And in the words of Hugh we are commanded to go and do the works of Abraham and told that there is no other way for us to go. For only by doing the works of Abraham can we establish, hope to establish a better order of things on the earth, that order of Zion, long lost from the earth. For only in Zion does one find charity, that greatest of all things, and non of godliness, which Abraham possessed in full measure, and for which he is still remembered in Judaism as the very embodiment. We further see in Abraham's life remarkable foreshadowings of Zion through the ages, including the king of Zion, whose birth and atonement are so clearly prefigured in the life of Abraham. We see foreshadowed the great events of the latter-day Zion from Joseph Smith's life, ministry, and translation of ancient scriptural records to the gathering of the latter-day saints to the building of temples to the glorious second, Lord's glorious second coming when he will deliver his people As dramatically and decisively as he once did, Abraham, from death on the pagan altar in Ur, Abraham's life is truly a lesson of the future. And we see Abraham receiving covenants, guaranteeing that Zion, as it would exist through the ages, would be built by his posterity. John Taylor remarked, From Abraham's day forth, by that lineage the blessing of heaven have flowed to the children of men, who were Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise as himself, Who was Joseph? Who was sold into Egypt? A descendant of Abraham. Who was Moses? Who was delivered from the Egyptian bondage? A descendant of Abraham. Who was Aaron? Who was associated with the Aaronic priesthood and who presided over it? A descendant of Abraham. Who were the prophets that we read about in the Bible? They were descendants of Abraham. Who was Jesus? Who is the Son of God, taketh away the sins of the world? A descendant of Abraham, according to the flesh. Who were the twelve apostles commissioned to preach the gospel to all the nations? Descendants of Abraham. And who were the Nephi 12 apostles that lived upon this continent? Descendants of Abraham. Who was Joseph Smith to whom the gospel was revealed in these last days? A descendant of Abraham. Parley P. Pratt similarly emphasized that from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob sprang the prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles. And from this lineage sprang the greatest prophet and restorer in modern times. In this peculiar lineage and in no other came all the nations, should all the nations be blessed. Indeed, it was so determined in the premortal councils that Brigham Young said, Joseph Smith was foreordained to come through the loins of Abraham. And if descendant then heir, the Lord declared to Joseph Smith that Abraham received promises concerning his seed, and of the fruit of his loins, from whose loins ye are. And if Abraham's distinguishing quality was love, so it was with his descendant Joseph Smith, whose love for mankind drew thousands to him. As Abraham the friend transformed the world by his love, so would Joseph Smith friendship, he declared, is one of the grand fundamental principles of Mormonism. It is designed to revolutionize and civilize the world and cause wars and contentions to cease and men to become friends and brothers. Even the wolf and the lamb shall lie down together. Hence, President Hinckley's continuing counsel to Latter-day Saints to reach out with greater love for our fellow men by feeding and clothing the hungry and the needy, extending love and neighborliness to those around us. And who are the Latter-day Saints? Like their founding prophet Joseph Smith, they are also the seed of the great patriarch. As the Lord has declared, ye are the children of Israel and of the seed of Abraham. They in turn are called to go together to gather out their fellow Abrahamic descendants. We are now calling upon the elders to go and gather up Israel, declared President Brigham Young. We will go to the Gentile nations to preach the gospel? Yes, and gather out the Israelites wherever they are mixed among the nations of the earth. And if any of the Gentiles will believe, we will lay our hands upon them that they may receive the Holy Ghost and the Lord will make them of the house of Israel. By this process, all who are gathered are of Abraham's seed, whether actual descendants or by that change that according to Joseph Smith is actually physiological. By obeying this gospel, explained Elder Parley Pratt, or by adoption through the gospel, we are made joint heirs with Abraham and we shall by continuance in well-doing all the blessed... In Abraham and his seed, the blessing is broad enough to gather all good, penitent, obedient people under its wings and to extend to all nations the principles of salvation. We would, therefore, cordially invite all nations to join this favored lineage. Abraham's latter-day descendants thereby following, follow their father in inviting all to become heirs of Abraham by accepting the gospel that he himself preached building the Zion that he foresaw, and qualifying for the blessings he received, and thus, in the words of John Taylor, will the Zion of our God be built up. The Abrahamic Drama of Latter-day Zion If the actors in the Lord's drama are part of the Abrahamic covenant, so is the drama itself, beginning with 14-year-old Joseph Smith's earnest prayer to the Creator, for there was none else to whom I could go, as he would explain. Regarding the glorious appearance of the father and the son to the boy Joseph that day, one Latter-day Saint scholar wrote, The entire story of the restoration as it centers in the opening of the heavens to Joseph Smith is but a fulfilling of the promises God made to Abraham. It is indeed the latter-day fulfillment of what Nephi called the covenants of the fathers of heaven unto Abraham in bringing about his covenants and his gospel unto those who are of the house of Israel to bring them again out of captivity and to be gathered and brought out of obscurity and out of darkness, so that they might know that the Lord is their Savior and their Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel." Such fulfillment was foreseen with great joy by Abraham and others. Joseph Smith explained that the latter-day Zion interested the people of God in every age, who have sung and written and prophesied of this our day. But we are the favored people that God has made choice to bring about the latter-day glory, a work that is destined to bring about the destruction and the powers of darkness, the renovation of the earth, the glory of God, and the salvation of the human family. Already half of this human family, including Christians, Muslims, and Jews, look to Abraham as their spiritual and in many cases literal forefather in partial fulfillment of the remarkable promises made to him about, their, about his posterity and in a way that prepares many of them to receive the pristine truths of the restored gospel and ordinances that Abraham once had. John Lord wrote in the 19th century, Abraham appears to us after the lapse of nearly 4,000 years as the most august character in history. As a religious thinker inspired to restore faith in the world and the worship of one God, it would be difficult to find a man more favored or more successful. He is the spiritual father equally of Jews, Christians, Mohammedans, in their welfare with idolatry. In this sense, he is the spiritual progenitor of all these nations, tribes, and peoples who now acknowledge, or who may hereafter acknowledge, a personal God, supreme and eternal, in the universe which he created." But it is, for what yet lies ahead, that another 19th century writer, W.F.P. Noble, saw the extent of Abraham's influence in a statement reminiscent of that of the Prophet Joseph Smith. Abraham is, said Noble, in some respects, the most remarkable man, the greatest character in history, for to whose descendants God committed those great truths which are destined to overturn Satan's empire throughout the whole bounds of the earth, and establish on its ruins the reign of holy and universal peace, restoring Eden to a defiled and distracted world, and to humanity the image of its God. To effectuate the great Abrahamic latter-day work of the rolling forth of the restored kingdom of God, the heavenly priesthood, says Joseph Smith, will not be idle spectators, but will actually unite with the earthly, even as happened in Abraham's day. President Joseph F. Smith similarly taught, We move and have our being in the presence of heavenly messengers. We are not separate from them. We are closely related to our kindred, to our ancestors, to our friends and associates and co-laborers who have preceded us into the spirit world. We cannot forget them. We do not cease to love them. We always hold them in our hearts in memory. And thus we are associated and unified to them by ties that we cannot break. Those who have been faithful, who have gone beyond, are still engaged in the work of salvation of the souls of men, can see us better than we can see them. We live in their presence. They see us. They are solicitors for our welfare. They love us now more than ever. Abraham's continuing concern for his posterity is reflected in the Talmudic tradition, telling that at the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, Abraham wept bitterly over his posterity, wondering if because of their iniquities, there was no hope for them. Then came a divine voice saying that as the olive tree produces its best only at the very end, so Israel will flourish at the end of time now at this season of latter-day flourishing abraham is joyfully involved a fact of which we have brief but telling glimpses that joseph smith had visited with abraham and was familiar with him was attested by john taylor and when president wilford woodruff addressed the saints assembled at the dedication of the salt lake temple he stated that if the veil could be taken from our eyes we would see every prophet and apostle that ever prophesied of the great work of god these patriarchs and prophets. ...who have wished for this day rejoice far more than we do, because they know what lies before us in the great work of God. They know, for example, that God's covenantal protection of Abraham's righteous posterity will more than equal any challenge they face. They also know the details of how, as Nephi wrote, "...the Lord will show unto them that fight against his word and against his people, that he is God and that he covenanted with Abraham that he would remember his seed forever." For as the Lord has promised his Latter-day Saints, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power, for ye are the children of Israel. And speaking to the preservation of the house of Israel at that great and terrible day, Isaiah foretold that those diligent for evil shall be wiped out by the same Lord who redeemed Abraham. Another ancient Jewish text states that the God of Israel keeps watch for their redemption and for the time of salvation, which has been preserved for Israel. When will he descend to the seed of Abraham his beloved? According to the Apocryphal Enoch writings, Abraham and the rest of the righteous in heaven will actually petition the Lord to stretch forth his mighty arm and deliver Abraham's seed in their hour of dire distress. It will not be the first time, says Jewish tradition, for Abraham's innervation on behalf of his children. Meanwhile, as Enoch once foresaw, the heavens shall shake and also the earth. And as Enoch had heard the earth complain to its creator about the wickedness of mankind, so at the last day, according to the Jewish Midrash, Shall it happen again? The heavens and the earth will be agitated and afraid and shaken, and will complain to their Creator about the wicked who provoke you, and you will destroy. What will happen to us? For you do not ex- create us except for the sake of the sons of Adam. The Lord will reply, I did not create you except for the sake of Abraham and Sarah. Whereupon the heavens and the earth and all the orders of creation will be glad and will rejoice. Then will the righteous dead be resurrected as foreshadowed by Isaac's rise from the altar and will come forth renewed to the beauty and and bloom of youth as Abraham had been shown in the vision of the future. And then will the son of God come in glory to bless all nations and deliver Abraham's righteous seed as decisively as he once delivered Abraham from the altar of death and Ur and according to the pattern of the fiery destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. As foretold by the prophet Isaiah, the Lord will come with fire and with the chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. The Lord riding a fiery chariot recalls his own language when he once told Abraham that I will dwell, I dwell in heaven. The earth is my footstool. I stretch my hand over the sea and it obeys my voice. I cause the wind and the fire to be my chariot. I say to the mountains, depart hence and behold, they are taken away by a whirlwind in an instant suddenly. But it is a text from New Testament times that most fully uses the imagery to describe the Lord's second coming. The text is an apocryphal record reporting the speech that got Stephen arrested. Stephen's response, subsequent defense, as reported in the New Testament itself, mentions Abraham's call and his leaving Haran. While the apocryphal speech contains much of the very imagery reported in the book of Abraham that the Lord used when he appeared to Abraham in Haran, imagery that includes the chariot, the wind, the sea, The mountains and the earth is God's footstool. Stephen, a learned man of the tribe of Benjamin, stood on a high place and addressed the assembly. Blessed is he who has not doubted concerning Jesus. Born of a pure virgin, he filled the world with light. Woe to the unbelievers, when he shall come as judge with angels and a fiery chariot, a mighty wind. The stars shall fall, the heavens open, the books be brought forward. The angels who are set over every soul shall... Unveil the deeds of men. The sea shall move and give up what is in it. The mountains fall. All the surfaces of the earth become smooth. Great winged thrones are set. The Lord and Christ and the Holy Spirit take their seats. The Father bids Jesus sit on his right hand. Regarding the Lord's chariot, an intriguing passage in the Midrash makes the startling assertion that the patriarchs themselves, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are the chariot of God. How so? Perhaps because, as the Lord states in Latter-day Revelation, he will descend in glory with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as the other righteous. One ancient source states that among the hosts of righteous descending with the Lord, the great Abraham himself will come. And according to the rabbinic midrash, Abraham will be honored by the Messiah, who, upon setting foot on the earth to sit on his throne, will nevertheless wait to be seated. For first, he will treat with respect Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and all the other prophets. And he will not yet sit upon the throne on account of their honor. They will in turn, will give him honor and praise, and standing before him, will call him our true Messiah, saying, even though we came before you, you are greater than we because of all the suffering you have endured for the iniquities of our children. Thus, as the Savior had once stood at his own throne, to welcome his friend Abraham, so apparently will the Savior again stand to welcome Abraham and all his righteous posterity, who will then shine as a brightness of the firmament in fulfillment of the covenant made to Abraham. For if the world at first was created for the sake of Abraham and his righteous seed, so the new creation in the uh, form of the renewed earth will, according to the Midrash, again be for the sake of Abraham and his righteous seed who will come forth in the resurrection, in the splendor, and in their youth as surely as the Lord once renewed their mother Sarah to bear Abraham's son of promise. And in that future day, as prophesied by John Taylor, Abraham will realize the fulfillment of the prophecies made to him and will stand in his proper place and position as father of his seed in the grand jubilee in this earth. Inaugurating that blessed era of the new heaven and the new earth will be the great messianic banquet depicted in scripture as the marriage supper of the Lamb, to which the hungry and thirsty are invited to come and partake freely, without money and without price. Then, as the Savior himself foretold, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places in the feast of Abraham and other righteous leaders. Why is Abraham named first? Perhaps to honor him for the bounteous hospitality he provided when he invited all from the east, west, north, and south to come and partake of the abundant feast of food and spiritual succor that he freely offered to mankind, thus fulfilling the Lord's promise that he shall become that he shall come to recompense unto every man according to his work and measure to every man according to the measure which he has measured to his fellow man. According to Al-Tabari, Abraham's glory hereafter is more splendid and tremendous than anyone can describe. No wonder that as we look forward to the marvelous events ahead, we are commanded also to look back, back to Abraham and Sarah, whose lives foreshadowed Zion and his latter-day redemption. Indeed, Isaiah specifically links the second coming and the joyful new era of bliss with Abraham and Zion. Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you are hewn, and to the quarry from which you are dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, but I blessed him, and he made, made him many. For the Lord will comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places, and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord, and joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving in the voice of song, listen to me, my people, and give heed to me, my nation for a teaching, will go out of me and my justice, for a light to the peoples I will bring near my deliverance swiftly, my salvation has gone out, my arm shall rule the peoples, the coastlands wait for me, and for my arm they hope, lift up your eyes to heavens and look to the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and those who live on it will die like gnats, but my salvation will be forever. Look to Abraham and learn how to come into Christ and build a Latter-day Zion in preparation for the Lord's second coming. Look to Abraham and discover the powerful and pure love of Christ that Latter-day Zion must acquire. Look to Abraham and see how the Lord will comfort and deliver Zion when he descends with his host of righteous saints, including his beloved friend Abraham, to fulfill the covenant made to him. Descending also shall be Enoch's Zion to join the Zion below in bringing unprecedented glory to this planet. For then shall all the earth become Zion, a restoration and extension of the Edenic paradise that will truly be the, bo- be the bosom of Abraham. For all who have been sanctified through the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal King of Zion. Jewish tradition records that when the Almighty was contemplating what blessing to bestow on Abraham, God reasoned thus. After seeing the way Abraham conducted himself, God said to him, Abraham, what blessing can I bestow upon you that you should be perfectly righteous on that your wife should be righteous, or that your wife should be righteous. You are righteous, since Sarah, your wife is righteous. What blessing then can I bestow upon you? Only that all the children that are destined to issue from you may be like you. Since Abraham's true seed are only those who do the works of Abraham, it is that seed that not only inherits the blessings of Abraham, but constitutes the greatest blessing that God gave to the patriarch. God's blessing to Abraham observes a modern rabbi is still the most meaningful blessing that one can offer to any worthy individual, that his children may continue in his footsteps and seek to emulate his noble acts and deeds. In the end, we become part of Abraham's greatest blessing as we qualify for the blessings by doing the works of Abraham. Speaking in general conference, Elder Franklin D. Richards declared that it is our goal to enter into the fulfillment of the promises made to the fathers, even the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We want to live so as to inherit and receive them in their fullness, so that when the time comes that Abraham our father shall come upon the earth to receive that inheritance that has been promised him. They who are the children of Abraham will be blessed and fruitful and with faithful Abraham. In the words of another writer, if men will learn of Abraham and follow his example, then may they too go forth abroad and look toward heaven, and in their ears may be heard the voice saying, So shall thy seed be. The life of Abraham powerfully beckons us to the Savior, to his Zion, and to his richest blessings here and hereafter. We might well, well might we ask ourselves the question posed by the Jewish texts, When shall my deeds be like those of Abraham? A modern prophet has suggested the answer. Now is the time to follow Abraham's example.